to be here with you. Uh, as you can see, things, we've been moving kind of forward in our new technology here, and we're, we're grateful that you're able to at least experience some of that in the last two weeks. As we move along, we are working diligently to make our presentation as best as possible so that when you're watching, there will be no distractions. That's what we're hoping for. So we're so glad that you are here with us, and as we uh, move along, we want to encourage you uh, to continue to move along in our sermon series uh, entitled Christmas Unmasked. I mean, some of you might think, wow, what does that really mean? We talked a little bit of last week, if you were with us and joined us, about the different masks that we wear and uh, the metaphorical masks that we wear, and some can be for protection and for uh, insurance not to get hurt, but sometimes we put masks on metaphorically to cover ourselves, to protect ourselves from anyone really seeing the true self that we are. Um, That is a difficult thing walking with Christ because sometimes we think we always have to be happy, but God sometimes allows for difficulties and trials to make us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so we long to lean on him and through that process. So this week, we wanted to entitle our sermon to be Jesus is the light. And we're going to talk about that, but we're going to talk more about him being the light. We're also going to be talking about darkness and how important it is for us to understand how without the light, there's darkness. And where there is darkness, sometimes we can see the light and need the light. But can there be life behind it? I have a story here for you. Uh, it was a person who wanted a share of a an, of an situation that they were in. It says, when I graduated from college, I was given one of the greatest opportunities for my young life. A group of us, of my friends, were told that if we were able to purchase a flight to the Cayman Islands, we would essentially be given free room and board in a couple of different oceanfront properties owned by one of our friend's family. Needless to say, I found a way to purchase the plane ticket. A few of us decided during the trip that we ought to get scuba certified while we would go down there. The Cayman Islands have some of the best scuba diving in the world. After completing our classes, we were invited by our teacher to go on a night dive. Now, when we were told about this, to me it sounded like a great adventure. The instructor told us we would use underwater flashlights. And I was sure with all great modern technology that we would be able to see just fine. So it turns out not so much. Right as we entered the water, I was alarmed to find out that I could barely see anything at all. And what I could see was only a foot or so directly where the flashlight was shining. My discomfort intensified as we descended along a coral shelf. And I found myself disoriented, unsure exactly which way was up. Now I want to picture being essentially blind underwater. Just picture that, he's saying, with a relatively limited amount of air for you to breathe. Can you imagine that? And he goes on to say, you have begun to question which way is up, and you are swimming along a coral shelf that makes it such that you cannot just swim in what you assume is up, 
Though again, you're not quite sure because after all, you're disoriented of the darkness. At this point, I was in complete freakout mode, he says. While we were a part of a group, there were multiple groups diving. So I was unsure if I was even in the right group. Now, eventually we made it back to the shore. I didn't die as I was fairly sure was going to be the case. And we even saw an octopus. But recently I've learned something about night diving. That is, there's always a way to know which way is up. And the way to do that is to feel your bubbles. (laughs) That may sound strange, but when you're diving, your breath produces bubbles. And as long as you can feel which direction you're going, you will know which way is up. And I think there is a lesson in that. When you can trust your sense, you can't trust your senses. When you can't even trust your judgment, you can always trust the bubbles to get you back to the top. Now you might say, wow, why is that so important to really truly understand? Because sometimes when we're in darkness, we're disoriented. We are at a point of we're disillusioned. We don't know where we're at. We have no concept of up or down. And what happens is we feel lost at sea. We feel as though no one is around. We feel as though how in the world can we get out of this darkness? We desperately need a light, a metaphorical light. But in this case, we understand too that Jesus was the light that came for a people who were disoriented, who were disillusioned the people of Israel, who weren't sure who they were. Because in the midst of where they were, they had foreign nations that were oppressing them. There were always an economic depression. And even in their own sins, they sat in darkness. And they needed the desperate light to come. And that was the Messiah to come. And we see that in Luke chapter 1, like we talked about last week, we're going to head down through that passage into verse 78 and 79. But when we think about creation, we think about that God created the heavens and the earth. We know that in Genesis 1.1. And then it, often, it says this, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Similarly, John wrote in chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Isn't it interesting that the guy who was scuba diving had flashlights, but he only could see what was in front of him. But he needed the breath. He needed the bubbles to direct him. Each of us, when we have the light, we understand that we need the life behind the light. And Jesus is revealing to us himself. But we also need to understand that he's given us life. And in the book of John, we see that. And it's so important for understand that, that we have to comprehend that even in this passage. Look with me, if you can, to Luke chapter 178, Luke chapter 178, because we talked about it last week that he is the redeemer, that he's come in his mercy and his grace. And Zechariah is talking, a righteous man, yet sharing about the prophecy of the one to come, the Messiah, the redeemer, the incarnate one. 
And he goes on to say this, after he spoke about his own sons in verses 76 and 77, he brings light back to the incarnate one, the Messiah to come, Jesus. And it says, because of the tender mercy of God, of our God, so he personalizes it, but mercy gives the idea of hesed love, the loyal covenant love of God from the Old Testament into the New Testament, the continuity that existed, the Messiah that was to come would bring this together. The light that is to come was to bring life for those who trusted in the person and work of Jesus would receive the assurance of eternal life. And so the mercy of God, what that word means is the seed of the emotions, the affection, the sympathy, the mercy. God is his compassion reaches out and wants to love his people. And so he's reaching out to offer his mercy. But he also offers his, his mercy where it says this, and this is a key word. He says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. So we saw that in verse 68, that God would visit and he would set up a redeemer. And the sunrise is a key word. We have to understand that because the word means to change from darkness to light. It's the coming of the dawn. So when we're sleeping and we're getting our night in, we're getting our good sleep in, it's dark out. But when we wake up, the sun begins to rise and it's a new day and mercies are new every day. And God brings forth the dawning of his son and is the dawning of helping those who live in darkness, even his own people. And so he offers that to him. So we see this word sunrise could be a double entendre, meaning it has two meanings here. It could be either the, the sunrise of itself, a star, as we could see in, in Numbers 24, 17. It says that a, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This was a reference, a prophecy of the Messiah to come. And so here he was talking about a star, but also it could mean too another reference. It could mean Genesis 49, 10, where we understand that the Messiah will come out of Judah. And in that line, that, that line will never depart. So we understand that he's from the tribe of Judah and that line will be an everlasting line. We even know that the stars in Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 10, when it was a star, the reference for the three wise men, uh, that was that point of reference for the men to find this Jesus. And then Revelation twenty two sixteen, it talks about Jesus being the morning star. And that double entendre meaning is also in Isaiah 11, 1, when it could also mean a branch or a shoot. And so the branch, as mentioned here, is there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse who is the father of David, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. So in the line of David would be a king, the king that would have the everlasting king, the one who would come. And so as we see this and we understand this, we have to now transition into Luke chapter 1, verse 79, because now he says the purpose of the sunrise, this sun, this Messiah, is to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and we're going to talk about that in just a short minute, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So the word light means to provide illumination, to give light. You might say that seems easy. So it's the idea of exposing and revealing to those who are living in darkness. Or she would say unmasking their, their darkness. So God comes and unmasks his son to us. 
And then he exposes our darkness and the darkness around us. And so we have to understand that there is a true light that comes. Even in Isaiah 9, 2, 9 verse 2, it says, A light will come from the Davidic line to shine on the land of deep darkness. Even in Matthew 4, 16, it was when Jesus went out all around of, you know, just the area of just Zebulon and Nephilia and trying to reach out to those who are living in darkness. And so the idea is that even in Jesus, when he came here on earth, he was doing his ministry to show forth that he is the light of men. And even Isaiah 42, 6 and 7, we see that he was a light to the nations. He was to open the eyes for the blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison to those who sit in darkness. So we see this motif, this mentioning of darkness and what he's highlighting here. See, in the Old Testament, as I said earlier, they lived around more nations the economic oppression was great, and they lived in the darkness of their sin. And we even think about when David was talking about in Psalm 13, he was hurting, he was in pain, he was in the midst of his darkness. And sometimes darkness can show forth a, 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 an expression of pain. And here's what David said in Psalm 13, verse 1. He says, how long, O Lord, Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So he's saying, Lord, why are you masking yourself from me? I'm in pain and you don't seem to be anywhere to be found. Why are you masking yourself? Let me tell you something. I think God allows for us to live in the darkness so we can appreciate the light. And sometimes God has to hide himself from us for just a moment so that we can appreciate that we are searching and seeking for him and looking for that light. If God would just to turn on the light immediately, then we wouldn't really be searching and then we wouldn't see that we desperately need him in the midst of our pain. Sometimes God allows us to go through difficulty, through trials. If you're going through a marriage that's tough right now, God is allowing the darkness and the pain, and he wants to use it to expose things in our hearts and our minds because we're struggling, and we always think it's the other spouse's fault. But when we have to look at ourselves, we have to say, wait a minute, it's my fault. Or you're looking with a child and you're struggling. You don't know what to do with your child and they're struggling through something and you want to fix it and you want to repair their lives and they're working through darkness and living in darkness and you just want to hurry up and turn the light on saying, see the light, see the light. God's saying, they need to search for me. And so in all of this, it's so important for us to understand that God would even allow the darkness and allow the pain so that we could see Jesus, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the incarnate one who came to offer the light of life to us. See, the light reveals God unmasking his son to us. But then there's the life, the eternal life that we so desperately need. And if God is calling us to be the light to the world as the people of God here in 21st century, I think we need to understand what does that mean how can we unmask ourselves so that the unmasking of a son can truly be unleashed in our lives? And so we have to understand that he's the light of the world, the mercy and grace of God, the compassionate act that he would come and offer to us. The father is sending the son. 
And in the book of John, it's 40 times that he highlights that. See, God didn't intend just to give us Christmas so that we could have the pretty decorations, so we could have the Christmas tree, so we could find out who's gotten me what gift, so we can have the white elephant parties, and we can have all these little things that could happen, and the kids in the anticipation of Christmas morning. That's all great. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's great to see the kids open up their presents. It's great for the grandparents to be able to just bless on their grandchildren. It's great for the parents to spend more than they really have and to just just unleash all of their bank accounts so they can make their kids really blessed even though they overspend. And so, Lord, all of that to say that it's great, but what about saying, Lord, I need you? Lord, what is it about with this Christmas? How can I learn about you? What was your intention for Christmas? See, I really believe in what even Zachariah is saying here, or even in John, God intended to offer Christ to us so we can be dedicated to his love and share it with others. That's the purpose of Christmas. So we can be that light. The Lord reveals the light of Christ in us so we can become the greatest witness to a people who live in darkness. That's truly the purpose of Christmas. So you know, we understand that, then we have to be willing to unmask this light of Christ in us. And how do we do that? Well, there are three things in which we hope to find out here. Number, number one, we need to learn how to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Let me explain that. You know, we're looking at Luke chapter 1, verse 79, and it says, God has come to bring his son to give light to those who sit in darkness. Well, the word sit is in the passive form in the Greek, which means that they are residing there. They are settled there. They're living in darkness. This person who lives in darkness doesn't have even a clue that they're living in darkness. I was once there before I came to Christ. I didn't even know I was in darkness. I didn't even know there was a God who loved me. I didn't even know Jesus really meant that much. I grew up in a Catholic church and just saw Jesus on the cross, but it really didn't mean much to me. In fact, I dreaded going to Catholic church. I dreaded going to church. I couldn't stand it. It really didn't change my my life. It didn't change my attitude. And you know what? I was just saying, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to live for myself. When you're living in darkness, really are those people who are considered unbelievers. Those who sit in darkness hate the light. And it does, it does not mean that God can't save them, but because they could be a part of the elect, but in their position, they're sitting, they're residing, and they're settling in it. So John the author John highlights this in chapter 3, verse 19, and he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness. They didn't even know that they loved the darkness. It came natural. They lived by their flesh. It was pleasurable rather than the light because their works are evil. You know what the word love means there? It means to have a high esteem for, for or satisfaction with something to take pleasure in. So they took pleasure. These people were unbelievers who loved darkness. They play, take pleasure in darkness. And what happens is they find their identity in darkness. Pleasure comes for their emotions and their feelings. They want to make sure that the pleasure comes from that. In fact, they might say things like, I need this. I want this. Or I deserve this. See, it's selfishness and evil. And e even us who are in Christ, we can fall back into the place of darkness. Maybe you're standing there today and you're wondering, why do I feel like I'm living with my emotions and my feelings? Why are they dictating my life? Why is it that I feel like there's darkness all around me? 
Could it be possible, brother or sister in Christ, that you're not sitting with Jesus, that you're just looking to the darkness and trying to look back at finding pleasure in it? So that's what it's going to take for us to realize we need to sit with Jesus. There's an example in the New Testament in the book of Luke when the woman who was considered in other excerpts of the gospel, we would think this would be the woman who was the harlot who came before Jesus. And let me just read this storyline to you in chapter 7, verses 36 through 38. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, verse 37, a woman of the city who was a sinner, it was a moral issue. So we would think that she would have had a moral issue of being a harlot. And when she learned that, she, that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now we understand that this is an, a flask that where ointment was placed for perfume. And in other, other excerpts of the gospel, we understood that that was considered 300 denier, which was a day's excuse me, a year's wage. So here was a woman who was bringing forth a very precious, precious anointment that she wanted to give to Jesus. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to weep, to, to wet his feet and with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. What an act of devotion of humility. She just poured herself out to sit at the feet of Jesus. Do you know that that a woman in that time in the first century, she let her hair down? That That was not acceptable. In fact, that was grounds for divorce for a woman to let her hair down in public. And here she didn't care. Here she saw herself as a sinner. Here she realized she had to sit at the feet of Jesus because she knew she was living in darkness and she was a sinner and she needed the light of Christ to set her free. And so the Pharisees knew. And as the story goes, it says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Because the Pharisee says, if if this Jesus, this rabbi would just know who this woman was. And Jesus, hearing their thoughts and knowing their thoughts, he said, do you see this woman, Simon? I've entered your house. You've gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she she, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment, meaning something that was so sacrificial, so costly to be willing to give of herself to sit at the feet of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who's forgiven little loves little. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus. We need to learn that when we sit at the feet of Jesus, we learn to sit in the light. And when we spend time in the light, we then can be the light to a world that's living in darkness. So we need to unmask ourselves just like this woman who was a sinner. She didn't have it all together. She simply said, I need you, Jesus. And she received forgiveness for it. And you and I need to do the same. Christian, we need to do the same. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's where we truly gain the light, to be the light to a world. Number two, we need to also, in order to unmask the light of Christ, we need to unmask the light of Christ 
by standing in the, his shadow, standing in his shadow. The word shadow, I have to give you as a couple of meanings here in the Greek. It can mean two things here. It can mean the shade of shelter from light and any heat associated with it, like a shade. Or it could mean the shape cast by an object as it blocks any rays of light. So it's understanding this because when we're looking at Luke chapter 1, verse 79, when it says the shadow of death, many would say that's deep darkness. But I think it's more than that. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a meaning behind it because I think a shadow, when you and I are in a shadow, if we're trying to go into the shade and it's really hot, we're trying to block ourselves from the sun and the heat. And sometimes when you're in a shadow or in a shade, you can still feel the heat. You can still feel it, although not as excruciating when you are in the shade or in the shadow. And sometimes what we have to understand is that in the shadow of darkness, you and I could be in the shadow of darkness, maybe the reflection of darkness, but we can still feel some heat that's good. It feels good on us. So we don't think we're really in darkness. We don't even know that we're in darkness. So we could actually, and I, I liken that to that casual Christian who continues to walk and walk, but they feel like they're not connected. They're disconnected. They're disoriented. They're disillusioned and they live in despair and they really, but then they see good things around them and they start to think, you know what? Well, this is going well over here and everything else is going well over here. And they start to look to the heat and the sun rays of the world but they're really not seeing the sun in it. They're not standing in the shadow of the sun. All they're doing is seeing those shadows around them, and then they feel the heat and think everything's okay because they think they're still in control. So they don't realize they're in darkness. And see, God, who sent his son, sent his son for all people, those who were unbelievers, and for those who the Israelites who thought they were walking with God, but they were like Pharisees. They were looking on the outside of all the different ceremonial laws that they were keeping, but their inside was like whitewashed tombs. And they were far away from God. They weren't standing in the shadows of God, nor his son, because if they were, they would know that Jesus was the Messiah when he was walking here on earth. But they didn't know. Because they were in the shadows of death. And they didn't even know it. And some of us too have to understand that we have a light that could shine so bright. Some of us can maybe have a, a 10 watt bulb in our lighting. Some of us can have 25 watt bulb in our lighting. Some can have 40 or 60. But whichever bulb you put in a room, if you have a light socket and you need to put a bulb, there's some light when you have 10 but not enough. There's some for a 25, but not enough. See, the room calls for 60. And sometimes we can't even have a 60-watt bulb because we're not sitting in the, in the light, nor are we standing in the shadows of Jesus. We have to understand we don't get it sometimes. Just like, why? Because I think we don't expose ourselves enough. I don't think we unmask ourselves enough. That's why it says here in John 3.20, it goes on and says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be, should be exposed. And see, that word exposed means to scrutinize or examine carefully, to bring the light, to expose, set forth. As I said, most people believe God wants to be intruder 
in their lives. Unbelievers, they just think God is some God who just wants to intrude in their lives, invade their hearts and saying, you know what? I'm not interested because I'm not good enough. So just stay out of my life, God. And you know what? As believers, we could do the same. We could sometimes think that the Holy Spirit is invading us and intruding on us. And what happens is we don't want to be exposed. So we mask ourselves because we're afraid if we unmask ourselves, and then people would see the real us. And if they see the real us, then we can't really be the light. But you know what? God's calling us to unmask ourselves so that the light of Christ can live in us, through us, and that we could be a light to the world. Because it's not about get, having it all together. It's not about being righteous more than it is surrendering to God and allowing his righteousness work through us. We can live morally and still never stand in the shadow of Christ. We can live morally and never sit with Jesus. It's really simple. Just do good according to man. Just do the right thing. God is calling us to a different place. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's why we need to unmask ourselves. And when we do, then God reveals our darkness so he can come in and enlighten us with his love. But there's another thing. What is God wanting to do? What can he unmask us with? What are the things that we need to do desperately? Our pride. I often am challenged with my pride. But with our pride, with our reputation, trying to keep up a reputation when deep down our hearts are, are cold. Insecurities. Abandonment issues. Emotional pain. Depression. Feelings of unworthiness. Feelings of being unloved by our loved ones. These are things in which we're afraid to unmask and we get defensive. We all do it. We all struggle with that. You know, in, in Luke chapter eight, there was a woman who had a disease, a blood disease for 12 years. She went to all doctors. She tried to get healing and she tried to see if there was a way and every doctor could not help her. And then she heard about this Jesus, this Jesus who could heal the lame and make the blind to see. And so when Jesus was in the crowd, she followed Jesus. She was following him like a shadow. She got behind him and she wanted to know when was the right time. And Jesus, in the midst of all these people, people were touching him and grabbing on him, trying to get a touch of the Messiah, the one who came, the one who can heal, the one who can heal people and cast out demons. And then the woman just kind of just leaned her hand and touched his cloak. And the power of God through Christ touched her body and healed her instantaneously. And Jesus said, wait a minute, who touched me? And then his disciples said, well, Jesus, everybody's touching you. You got so many people around you. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I felt power come out of me. Someone touched me. And then the woman was so scared she says, Lord, it was I who touched you. And through that, Jesus said, for what you did, your faith has made you well. She was willing to trust. She was willing to follow Jesus. She was willing to see that he was the light of the world. But with the light of the world, we need the light of Christ, the life of Christ in us. We need a touch from the power of God in us. We need Christ to touch us. And when we're unmasked, we need the power to work in us so that we could see the light and be the light to a world. Number three, 
we unmask the light of Christ by seeking, seeking to do God's will, seeking to do God's will. John 3.21 says this, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I love this passage. I love it because what God is saying is that those who truly are my people will do, will obey. They will walk in the light. They will come to the light. And then my power will be working through my people. It's not our power. It's not our righteousness. Even Zechariah, when he was saying it in chapter one, he too included himself, although a righteous man, recognizing he needed the Messiah. And each one of us who are in Christ, that we are declared righteous, we still need the Messiah. We need to sit at his feet. We need to stand at the shadow of Jesus. And then we also need to seek to do his will. And when we do those things, those first two things, I believe then we will fall into doing. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. It means that we are going to do that which the Bible tells us. In fact, the word true there is the content of faith, that we obey God, we obey his word and follow him. And then people will know that we will have the light of Christ in us. They will see that it is God who's living in us. In chapter 14, 22 through 24, it says, Judas, uh, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? Meaning you will unmask yourself, you'll reveal yourself, you'll expose yourself to us and not to the world. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make a home with him. Wow. Meaning we will reside and settle in him. Remember I said when you sit in darkness, you reside and you settle in. It's passive with here. When God gives us his son and he offers us eternal life, and when we come to trust and have the assurance of eternal life, then we settle in. We abide in him. We reside in him. We set the tone of saying, God, when I reside in you, then I will do that which honors you. And then people will see the light of Christ in me. See, those are the words in which God, and in verse 24, he says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, those who live in darkness. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So he would say, the Father and I are one. The light came to give life and to be a light unto men. See, we have to be willing to unmask ourselves so that God could mask us with the love of God, of his love, his love and his purpose so we can understand his will and do it. You know, in Isaiah 58, 8 through 10, we understand that the prophet was talking about what's true fasting. How do we really truly fast for the Lord? Because many people were fasting for their own pleasures. In verse three, it says they sought for their own pleasures in their fasting. Now that seems kind of crazy because when you fast, you're sacrificing, you're really being selfless, but yet God has really called them out saying, you're doing it for your own purposes. You're only seeking out for yourself. And so he goes on to say in, the, in verses six and seven that he says, it is not the fast that I choose. Is it not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness? to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. 
He's asking it a question. Then he goes on, he says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, meaning not mask yourselves, not try to mask your pride or your reputation or your emotional pain or your struggle? I mean, we all do it. I do it. I do it often. And then what happens is we don't respond, we react, we fail. And God in his mercy and his grace continues to call us back to the light. And that's the beauty of God, that his compassionate, merciful act that he's reaching out to us. And then he goes, this is what I really want you to do. In verses 8 through 10, he goes, if you do these things, then shall your light break forth like the dawn. (laughs) Now darkness will no longer exist. The dawn will come. The light will come and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of God shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. I mean, God is saying the dawn is coming. Get out of yourself. Get out of, get out of yourself. Get over yourself and start realizing God has a place for you and I as a people of God to be the light of the world who are living in darkness. We have the answer, and that's Christmas. And we can share that answer by sharing Christ with those who don't know, who live like I once lived. That's what God is calling us. In fact, I really believe that God is saying something here. Sometimes we're in our darkness and we don't even know it, like I said it earlier. Sometimes we're in that shadow because we still feel the good heat. Sometimes we just got to say, you know, even though we're feeling the sun's heat, we got to make sure we are seeing the sun. We've got to see the sun. It's a play on words. Slightly poetic, but we need to see the S-O-N, the sun. That's what we truly need. We need to sit at his feet. We need to stand in his shadows. We need to unmask ourselves. Because when we do, then we will seek to do his will. And people will see his power through us. They don't want them to see Bruno because he's a mess. But I want them to see Jesus. And that's a lot of work. God has a lot of work when it comes to me. God's working hard, but it's not too hard for him. And I'm grateful that he still is willing to put up with me. Jesus is my first love, and he will continue to be because he's the one who accepts me just the way that I am, even in my faults. Because God uses darkness to bring forth his glorious light. In fact, I want to venture to say this. God shows darkness and we need to be in darkness in order to be, a, to be rescued through the light of Christ. In fact, let me just share a couple of things here from a book that I read. It says, in the darkness of the dungeon, Joseph received his commission and became a government official. 
In the darkness of the lion's den, Daniel recognized God as the king of the beasts and became an evangelist to the royalty. In the darkness of the tomb, Lazarus was resurrected and became an example of the new life in Jesus Christ. And through the darkness of death, Jesus rose to rescue humanity and reign as the savior of the world. God, in fact, I'll say this, God wants to use darkness. He allows darkness. He allows trouble. He allows trial. He allows pain. He allows depression. He allows emotional pain and mental pain and mental anguish. He has allowed all of this COVID. He's allowed for us to wear masks in a crazy world, all so that we can learn from him the light and life that is in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of Christmas. So I challenge you today. Brother and sister in Christ, where are you sitting? Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus in the midst of your pain and your struggle and your depression and your hurt? Are you standing in a shadow? Or do you feel the heat rays and the heat and saying, I'm okay, everything else over here is pretty good. I'm gonna challenge you to sit at the feet of Jesus this week. You know, yesterday and into this morning, I was fit, sitting, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I sensed he was setting me free. But I have to continue to sit at his feet every day and stand in his shadows so we could do his will and the people can see the power of God in us. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for reminding us that there was darkness when you created the heavens and the earth but you spoke into existence the light. There was darkness in the world. People had no hope until Jesus came. And although the people of God in the Old Testament had the hope of the God of Israel and that they could have salvation by grace through faith, the Messiah coming was always in mind since the beginning. And when Jesus came to be born, he offered light in the midst of deep darkness. In the darkness of our society, in the darkness of our countries, but in the darkness of our hearts. Sin is where darkness lays. And God, we as your people so desperately need the light of Christ and the life of Christ. We need to sit at your feet, Jesus. We need the power of God to work in our lives. We need to humble ourselves, unmask ourselves, and allow the unmasked Jesus who came on earth to live in our hearts and reside there, to make that his home. Oh, Jesus, I pray that we would not quench or grieve the Holy Spirit any longer, that I will stand before you, that you have appointed me here as the pastor. Start with me, Lord, because I desperately need help. God, we just pray as your people, we can be that light to a world that's in darkness so we can show forth the gospel of Jesus. Because the enemy doesn't want have us to do it. He wants no part of it. He will try to stop us in any way to get so focused on ourselves and not focused on you. God, change our hearts. May we look to you today and in this week, in Jesus' name, amen. God, I want to just add one more prayer. Please challenge us to truly, truly die to self. In Jesus' name, amen.